Hello! Welcome to Center Saint Sister. This is a space where spirited, hurting, searching, faithful people come together and ask hard questions and listen to some really wise people share about how they have lived life deeply. If this episode spoke to you, I hope that you leave a review and subscribe. You can visit YouTube slash Allison Sullivan for some really fun extras. I hope you hear something today that lets you know you are loved and helps you love one another. Welcome to Center Saint Sister. Someone who inspires me to sit with God's word is Meg Hunter-Kilmer. She's committed, she's thorough, but she's also very trusting. She knows that God is beautiful and she trusts that when she is committed and thorough in the word, she will only find God to be revealed more and more beautiful. While I have shared what I'm about to share before, please feel free to skip ahead 11 minutes or so to go straight to Meg if you'd like to. It feels appropriate to share a time that I found Jesus to be confusing. It was a passage of scripture where he likens a woman to a dog. And because that wasn't the Jesus that I knew, I decided to be committed and I decided to be thorough. And after eight hours in a coffee shop, committed and thorough and looking for beauty, this was the result. The Canaanite woman. I hadn't slept well in years. My daughter's on-again, off-again illness made sleep fitful, if not because of illness, then because of anticipation of illness. The women in my village, they frequently brought their leftovers, and they placed their hands in mine as we sat knee-to-knee, and with tears in their eyes, they told me how they did not know how I lived the life that I lived. Plainly, I don't know how I lived the life that I lived. I tended to my daughter because if I didn't, who would? My daughter was the real hero. Me? I just gathered the stones she used to hurl at her Goliath. I supplied her with the weapons she needed to do battle every day. I would have liked to have taken her pain in my hands and helped her make sense of it. Without that option, I placed stones into her hands and strengthened her while she took aim. The ladies in my village, they woke up thinking of me. I woke up thinking of my daughter, and my daughter woke up thinking of her Goliath. Did we live in fear? Yes. We had a fearsome foe. Did I blame myself for the lack of healing? Yes. What kind of mother can't take the pain away? Did we persist when it didn't seem possible? Tell me, what other choice did we have? The day the fevers worsened, my cousin, he came running up our sandy path, and I was in the middle of rinsing yet another set of linens. I heard my cousin before I saw him, his hastened footsteps pounding the dirt, stirring up the dust. I knew right away by the purpose in his pace that this was a serious visit, different than his weekly visits for afternoon tea and dropping off his extra dates, almost the only thing that we could reliably get my daughter to eat. When he was in earshot, he called my name and ran the last bit until he was at my knee bent over in a huff. If I was in the mood to smile, I would have. My cousin is a a heavy-set man with no business sprinting, and I couldn't help but find his heaves humorous. I waited for him to speak, half intrigued, half bothered. I had many chores untended to, because my daughter and I, we used to happily work alongside each other. But now I completed the household duties alone. I shook my head, and I went back to the laundry, and I hoped that he would be quick. Cousin, he gasped, bent over, his hands above his knees. I need... 
I, I need to tell you something. My cousin had theatrical tendencies, and while I usually found him entertaining, this day I was at the end of my rope. And so I decided to let his heart rate return to normal before I told him that I didn't get one hour of sleep last night and today felt particularly hopeless and I didn't have extra reserves for drollery. Finally, he stood up and collected himself. I drew a deep breath and I started my rehearsed cautioning, but it was too late. He was already two sentences in, expending as much energy as he did to get up our hill to tell me about a trip he had just taken to Palestine. I interrupted him to say that I didn't have time to listen to his latest travel adventures. Maybe some other day, I said, because I can't right now. And I could feel the tears forming hot behind my eyes. I have more healers to visit, and I have more spices to collect, more oils to administer, and more stones to bang my head against, more tears to shed, more daughters to ruin. I can't do this right now, I yelled. And I fell into a heap right there in the dirt underneath my baby's linens, and I let go of my grief as loud as I had been wanting to. I laid there unconcerned with who might be watching or what they might be thinking. My cousin gave me about 30 seconds of space, and then his voice was soft in my ear. Cousin, he said, I know. It's why I'm here. Sister, please, please listen. There is a man. He can help us, sister. In Palestine, I saw him, some men from my village. We traveled to hear him, and you have heard the stories too, but sister, I saw it. He is different than anything we have ever seen. He's not a smooth-talking philosopher, and he doesn't hate us. I know what you're thinking, but please, please listen. We were there in masses, this mishmash of, of profane and sacred all in one place, and I can't explain it, but, but all of it, all of the anomalies, he was everything, sister, to everyone strong but meek, kind but severe, confusing to people who did not wish to believe, yet making it so simple for those of us who did. He told stories, sister, and when he did, he looked right at me. I sat up angry. I knew the man he spoke of, and I cursed at myself for hoping that my cousin actually had something to tell me. You have to leave now, I said. And I got to my feet, and I pressed the heels of my hands into my eyes, and I brushed the dirt from my robe. No, please, I'm not, I'm not finished, he begged. No longer trying to be polite, I yelled at him, they hate us. I know this Jesus you speak of. He's not here for us. How could you be so foolish? Utterly annihilate them. That's what it says. We are not just Gentiles, cousin. We are Canaanites. We are Canaanites. You need to go. Now. My daughter, hearing the commotion, she had stumbled our direction. I didn't know what she had heard, but I didn't want her to hear any more. Go, I said again to my cousin, my voice now a growl. My cousin, he took me by the shoulders. Sister, he said. I went to hear him because I was curious. But there were people who went there to be healed. And they were. He touched them and unclean spirits. They came out. People gathered around him just to be near him. Power was coming out. Sister, we could feel it. He healed them all, anyone who asked. And I saw it with my own eyes. I saw it. My daughter leaned her burning body against my leg, and I put my face in my hands, and I wept. Sister, please, please look at me. I lifted my eyes. 
I come here. I come here week after week and I watch you suffer. And I suffer because I can't help you. And week after week, you watch her suffer. And you suffer because you can't help her. Please, I know someone who can help her. Do you think that I'm here to be cruel? Do you think that I would say these things in front of her if I didn't know them to be true? I love you. And I love her. And you must go to him. He crouched down to my daughter's eye level, and he traced her brow, brushing the hair out of her face. Annoyed with the hope that I felt in my heart, I pointed out the obvious. I am a pagan. I am a descendant of enemies. I have no claim on the covenant. Rising, meeting my gaze and my conviction, he steadily asked me, Do you believe me? or not. I do. I believe you. I could barely eke out the words. Then go. I know where he is, and you won't have to travel far, but he's in hiding, he said, rushing out the last part, hoping to slither it past me. I placed my hands on my hips in exasperation. He dismissed my disapproval, and he waved his hand. He's, he's, he's here for rest. He's here to teach his disciples. It's fine but I know the house. Go to him. Ask him for healing. I measured him coolly. Sister, he said, what other options do you have? My daughter slipped her hot hand in mine, and I realized I had none. And so I set out the next morning. The house, it wasn't even hard to find. You could hear them from a quarter mile away. I don't know how they expected to do any significant hiding with a ruckus like that. I heard a voice from inside yell Jesus' name with a boisterous laugh, so I sprinted the last stretch, fully realizing how it must look to see a middle-aged lady like me going at her top speed. Without bashfulness, I hiked my robe up around my thighs and I ran faster. During my travels, my resolve had strengthened. Optimism, as sure as a promise, had snuck into my heart. I didn't feel I had one second to waste. I understood that Jesus had no obligation to me. Responding to me was not his immediate mission, nor was it his larger one. I wasn't a disciple. I wasn't a Jew. But I believed. And I was there to gather one last stone for my baby. And so I caught my breath, and I called his name, and I begged like any mother would. Lord, I shrieked, son of David, I paced the perimeter of the house, speaking of my daughter, screaming her name, screaming the name of the Lord, until finally a burly man with curly black hair surprised me, blocking my path. Standing like an armed guard, his hands on his hips, his barrel chest out, he said emotionlessly, Listen, I'm sorry about your daughter and all, but we're trying to get rest. It keeps getting interrupted, you know, first in the desert then in Gennesaret, and now this, this isn't what we're here for. You hear me? You aren't who he's here for? You understand that, right? I do, I said with measure, straightening the skirt of my robe. I looked at my feet while he walked back inside. I dared not fault him for his annoyance with me, because before my daughter's illness, I couldn't meet other people's pain either. Despite his scolding, I vowed to yell until sunset. He seemed irritated, not dangerous, and with my daughter being cared for by a neighbor, I had all day to hope outside that house. 
I could hear the disciples inside pressing Jesus. This is exactly what we were trying to avoid. Send her on her way. But the same resolve that made me raise my skirt and run faster was the same resolve that made me get comfortable with my back against the house and keep yelling. Then I heard Jesus speak. I knew that it was him by the way they quieted down. With something in his voice I cannot name. Guidance? Challenge? Merriment? (laughs) He said with deliberate words, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And then he waited. I sprung to my feet, thinking that standing would heighten my hearing. I swear I could feel the raise of his eyebrows. The lost sheep of Israel? That wasn't me. But something promising was happening. I I couldn't fully absorb it. I was straining to hear, my ear as close to the house as physically possible, when the black-haired man appeared again and startled me so that I took three steps back, tripped over my robe, and fell. He walked toward me, shaking his head. He helped me up without eye contact, and he began to lead me inside. Once I realized what he was doing, he was letting me in. I tried to remember what Jesus had said. What were the words that caused this gruff man to extend some mercy? I spent a second trying to care, and then I just bolted past him, beating him to the door, knowing that that this was my chance. I ran inside, and I scanned the room. I easily picked out Jesus. I crawled to his feet on my hands and my knees, and I wrapped myself around his ankles, and I begged, Lord, please help me. And when I said, Lord, help me, The black-haired man filling the doorframe, he stopped in his track and he locked eyes with this lord. They exchanged something only they seemed to know. The rest of the disciples watched us from under their eyebrows, their arms folded across their chest. Jesus smiled at them rascally, the corners of his mouth turned up, his eyes knowing and gleeful. Was he keeping a secret? Was he hiding a gift? Was there an inside joke that I wasn't privy to? Ordinarily, I I would have searched the room for clues allied, but in this moment, I was only alert to Jesus. He turned his full attention towards me. He took my hand and he led me to my feet. Sitting me down beside him, he turned his knees towards mine. He gripped my hand tighter and he changed his smile from them to me. Softening his eyes so the corners fell into their familiar lines. He had done this many times before. The lines only proved it. He leaned in close, and he said tenderly, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. When he said children, he gestured towards the other men in the room, and when he said dog, he nodded towards me. I was asking for my daughter to be healed. Jesus had spent a fair amount of time ignoring my requests, and now he had likened me to a dog. I realized the scandal. Except I didn't feel scandalized. Maybe it helped that I didn't go there to be flattered. I went there to be saved from my hell on earth. And between my cousin's account and this gentle man's demeanor and my desperation, I only felt expectant. As I looked at Jesus and imagined this scene, taking bread from children and tossing it to the tumbling, bumbling puppies underfoot, I felt endeared. He was describing a scene from my childhood as a Greek, 
certainly not a scene from his childhood as a Jew. Speaking my language, <laughs> the nostalgia he conjured, me, a beloved little dog, pulling on his robe, refusing to be ignored, begging for scraps, that all sounded about right. And so I leaned in also, and with an earnest smile and the slightest cheeky lilt, I challenged him, but Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table? <laughs> I don't know if it was accepting his metaphor, or if it was going back and forth with him, or if it was believing that his leftovers were plenty enough for me. But with deep affection, he scooped me up and commended my faith. <laughs> Placing my head on his chest, he smiled over his shoulder the direction of his disciples. And then with his hands on my shoulders, he extended his arms to look me in the eye. Without words, I told him that I knew who I was. A beggar and desperate need. And in his eyes, he told me who he was, a compassionate savior with every answer to any pain. I knew my daughter had been healed. In my very own body, I felt her fever leave. After years of grit through endurance, I had called my suffering what it was. I had a good old-fashioned temper tantrum. I walked a road of repentance. I sought out a savior. I called him Lord, and I threw myself at his feet. This, our very last stone. At sunset, the last orange rays that look like blood spill over the horizon, and my daughter and I take the linens off the line. My cousin sits nearby, watching us while eating a pouch of dates, and I recount more details of my interaction with Jesus, because even though I've been back for three weeks, none of us can get enough. My cousin, in his theatrical way, nods enthusiastically with a mouthful of dates that he tried to tell me Jesus was more concerned with matters of the heart than he was with ethnic boundaries. Welcoming strangers, welcoming outsiders, as he chews. It's what he's all about. Just then, we notice a burly figure kicking up sand approaching our home. I know immediately who it is. He approaches meekly, cautiously and introduces himself, extending his hand to my cousin and then lowering his head in my daughter's direction. Keeping my back to him, I fold the last linen, and I say casually, Hey there, I'd offer you some water, but trying to get ahead with these linens. Keep getting interrupted, you know? You know how it is, right? I look over my shoulder and I smile slyly, hoping he accepts my drollery. He ducks his head and nods with a sheepish smile. My cousin offers him a seat and a handful of dates, and Peter, he accepts both. It's actually why I'm here, he says. I'd like to explain. It's okay, I tell him. I have everything I need, and more. With the last linen folded, my daughter catches my eye to ask with a jerk of her head the direction of her friend's house if she could be excused. I nod and she bounces next door, and then the three of us watch her trail away. Peter's voice calls us back. Yeah, but there are a few things that I'd really like for you to know, he says. I fill a cup with water and hand it to him and pull up a chair. The crowds, the need, the disease, he says. Our work with him, it's overwhelming. And if I'm telling the truth, sometimes it can be scary. The crowds push in and they grab and they demand and we walk around feeling overcome a lot of the time. But he never says no. He heals them all. I understand. I interrupt. You really don't need to wait. 
Please, I would like to finish, he says. The day that you came, we committed to rest. Finally. And yet there you were, <laughs> yelling, no less. We were exasperated that even in another country, we couldn't get away from people who needed him. Everyone needs him. We had asked Jesus to send people away before. That wasn't unique. Compassion, it's not always our strong suit. But when you showed up, Jesus was silent. He got quiet in his rabbi way. And it always means we're supposed to ask the right questions. We're obedient, but every time we try not to roll our eyes, you know? I mean, some of us were, are better at it than others. And he taught us through you that day. And you let him. You were patient as he connected the dots for us, and we were amazed by you. We're always fighting amongst ourselves, he says, shaking his head. We're always trying to decide who's better. <laughs> we're obnoxious, really. But you, you accepted a lesser status just to be included in the circle. You accepted a position as a dog under a table. It's better than a lost sheep, no? I ask with a smile. Together, we chuckle. I know that you remember the exchange as well as I do, he continues, but I don't know if you know that in one meaningful moment, we watched Jesus heal your daughter, minister to us, minister to you, deliver a promise, avoid the spotlight, and save the whole world. I hang on his every word, speechless myself. So I want to know. Your words, your faith, your humility, your desperate plea, I want you to know that you changed me. Well, brother, I'm honored. You didn't have to make this trip to build my faith, and yet, how can I pray for you, Peter? If ever again, sister, I find myself lost at sea, will you pray for your words, Lord, help me to spring from my mouth, but also for your faith to spring from my heart? I am certain that this time it will keep me from drowning. Worthy is the self-help book for Christians who are tired of the mediocre swipe right and left style of dating, who want to change their dating standard and create a bold, fearless life full of passion and purpose. It doesn't matter if you're a high school girl, someone's grandma, or any age in between, Worthy is designed for you. In a vulnerable yet witty how-to guide, Clarissa Christensen takes you down her own path that led to the rock bottom of bad dates, low self-worth, and an unfulfilled life overrun by depression and anxiety. In these 13 easy-to-read chapters, you will learn how to identify and overcome the insecurities that are holding you back, establish a dating standard you love, grow a supportive friend tribe, dive deeper into your relationship with God, live unapologetically. By the end, you'll learn who you are and what you want out of life and how to get it. Head to her website, igniteyourworth.com to purchase your copy today or even request a signed copy. Hello, Meg. I am so excited to have you on the show. You are um, a teacher just by nature, uh, but also actually physically in the classroom formerly. Um, you're an author. You're a missionary. You're a speaker. You are my go-to. You're an inspirer. You are my go-to saint person. Um, just so knowledgeable and approachable. You are a lover of God's word. And this is our first time to talk in real life, to talk in person. And it's such an honor to meet with you face to face and to have you on the show. 
Oh my goodness, what an incredibly affirming way to say hello. <laughs> this should just be how people greet each other, right? Like right. meeting people and be like, can we talk about how pretty you are? And also that everything you do brings me joy. Like, oof, I'm just feeling good now. Thank you. Maybe this is what they mean by the holy kiss, right? Greet right. each other with a holy kiss. <laughs> right. Yeah, we're just going to list everything lovely about you real yes. quick during the sign of peace. It's fine. Yeah. It's so well, good. I'm glad that you receive it with just how I intend it because I have been a follower for a long time. So I'm I'm really really glad that you're here. Um we ha- we do have a few loves in common, Meg. I um love Notre Dame. Yeah. And oh, I yes, didn't know that. That's yes, exciting. Go Irish. Yes. Um I also taught in the classroom for about five years. It was six um, before I realized that something had to give. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I needed to kind of um, do something else. But um, young people are just so delightful to me, as I know they are to you, too. Um, my my favorite thing about you, Meg, though, is your commitment to Jesus's word. Um, you take him at his word in so many ways. It's um, you take him quite literally. And I think that we all um, could do a better job um, about that. And um, we know that Jesus flips the script on so many things that he really um, tends to turn things upside down. Um, You know, that the rich is poor and that the strong are weak and that, um, you know, greatest is least and up is down and down is up and and, and all of these things. And um, his lifestyle very much conflicted with things that society tends to hold dear, um, whether that's popularity um, or power or prosperity or, or whatever. Um, we know that he chose homeless li- homelessness and that he loved his enemies and that he defended oppressed people, that he marched to his own um, persecution and remained silent when accused and, and many um, other forgave his oppressors and murderers, frankly. And um, I don't know that anyone has ever lived more counterculturally than Jesus. And yet you really, really strive to try. Do you mind sharing your thoughts on Jesus's words and actions and how we could imitate them better? Yeah. Dang, girl, that's a, that's a question. So for those who don't, who don't know my deal. Um, Allison's referring to the fact that I am a missionary. I live out of my car. So I have been on the road for 10 and a half years, 50 states, 25 countries, driven like 340,000 miles, I think, at this point. Um, yeah, which is not what my plan was when I got two degrees from Notre Dame, right? Like that was at the like career counseling center. They weren't like, okay, so you might want to live in a car. Like mm-hmm. that's a thing mm-hmm. that some of our alumni do. Um, but I mean, you know how Jesus is, right? Like he, uh, <laughs> he sure does do some, <laughs> is a good word for him. It's a good word for him. He sure does do some strange things. Yeah, I was a teacher for five years and I knew that God was calling me out of the classroom and I, I thought this was going to be for like two months. Um, and it's been a decade now. It's the longest I've done anything in my entire yeah, life. I mean, I guess yeah. like K to 12 education is still a little bit longer, uh, okay, but we're closing okay. in on that, you know, yep. like I, um, and it's, it's remarkable um, because I think that you really, you hit on something that's been really important in my spiritual development. Cause I kind of was like, Jesus, I'm going to do you a favor, right? Like, mm. isn't that cute when we do that? Isn't that cute? Yeah. Um, when like we look at the guy of the universe and we're like, check it out. I'm going to be generous here. And he's like, Oh, that's what you're going to do. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I was like, you know, I can go around and I can tell people about you. And you know, if I don't have a house, that'll make it 
easier for me to be responsive to the call and I can speak in impoverished parishes where they can't afford to pay anything, you know, like all this stuff. Um, and it was just so much more about, about God healing my heart, about God mm-hmm. rooting me in him. Um, and I think that that, that identification with Jesus and his homelessness um, and in, in his feeling of, of being a sojourner, right. Being a, yeah. a stranger in a strange land. Um, and, you know, and I, it resonates like Abraham being called to yeah. a place he did not know resonates yes. so much with me. And yeah. the Israelites wandering through the desert resonates so much with me. And even Jacob, who was not my favorite of the patriarchs, um, mm. going, going out and, um, and not, not feeling that ever, not ever feeling that sense of the ability to just like be at peace, um, you know, to like really shut down and just be like, okay, whew, I am home. Um, yeah. and there's something really yeah. beautiful in that reminder that this world is not our home, you know, uh, and that wow. for the last decade, the closest I get to being at home is any tabernacle and every tabernacle, right? Like there's no place else where I'm like, this is a place where I am safe to just like completely be me. You know, there are some places where like I've got people I love and it's, you know, physically a comfortable situation, but it's, Mm. it's always like dependent on other people's generosity. It's always a feeling of not, not of being needy because that was definitely something I struggled with a ton at the beginning and like sort of throughout my whole life. And God has really been healing that. Um, but just a feeling of like, this is not really my space. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. And then I go into every church and Jesus is like, and this is home. Yeah. My goodness. That is even more beautiful of an explanation that I could have ever imagined. I really resonate. The closest that I can get to what you're describing is, um, kind of is living overseas and and I went very much on my own. And so there's something about crossing borders and, and very much being a foreigner and, and not having um, a family that removes you of a safety net that makes you cling so closely to mm-hmm. the only thing left when everything is stripped away that and to, and to live in that state is really, really something. I am so, so grateful for the words and language you're able to put to that. Well, and I think, uh, you know, that talking about being abroad is, is striking too, because there is always just a sense of being on edge, you know? And I think for me, it's particularly strong because I sort of grew up in a family where nobody knew any of the social rules and I am very attuned to those things. And so I've spent Uh my entire life like figuring out what the rules are and teaching everybody around me. So the weirdos. Um, And then I go to another country and I'm like, I don't, I don't know what the rules are. Like, I don't know if you jaywalk or not. I don't know (laughs) if you order at the counter or at your table. Uh uh I don't know if you make eye contact. I don't know if you give the money with two hands or one hand, like just that constant being on edge. And there's something really profound about that idea, right? The scripture talks about how we're sojourners in a land that's not our own, that this we were not made for this world, but we become so accustomed to the things of this world. We become so inured to the ways that we don't belong, that we do start to, we identify ourselves with the things of this world and we don't recognize that longing that we have for something else, right? Like it just, everything becomes comfortable. And I think that when you're in another country or when you're in somebody else's space or when you're in a new situation all the time, 
you you can retain some of that sense of okay like i wasn't made for this mm-hmm. right i wasn't made to all the time be on edge i wasn't made to be constantly looking to other people to read their cues or to find my identity because that's really what we're right. doing right all of us all the time yeah. are looking to everybody else to find our identity and i think that it's a it's a gift to me that I'm able to live in this way so that the Lord can keep saying to me, because I am the kind of person where I like dig in and I make a home yeah. and I like yeah. build a community and I love people hard and we know mm. each other well. And it's just, it's very easy. Like I'm, I'm talented and successful in a lot of different ways. And so it's very mm-hmm. easy for me then just to define myself by those things. And sure. first of all, the Lord gives me a whole freaking lot of failure as a gift because he loves me so much. (laughs) (laughs) But I think also this, like, this constantly being thrown into new situations and new people and trying to read things is again and again, the Lord saying, Hey, it's very easy for you to find your identity in what other people think of you. Yep. And I need you to know that that is not who you are. Right. And that this is never going to satisfy that you are always going to be on edge unless you find yourself on. Yes. And it's, it's a tiny bit booby trapped, right? Because technically we're designed to look outside of ourselves to define our worth. It's just that we're putting it in all the wrong places. We're designed to look to a savior to tell us who we are. And so when we're start living by the ways of this world and looking to other things and places and then becoming more comfortable and then becoming more complacent, that's when, um, you know, some scripture that immediately, um, makes me, kind of remember or or reflect on how I may have gotten too comfortable is um, every advent talking about babies and vipers, right? And and Mm. lions and lambs and all we're all laying down together. And, and then, and and of course, you know, hearing those words and like actually having a visceral reaction, thinking of a baby by a viper, you know, and then it's like, oh, wait, that's because I am not, I, I don't belong here. You know, Mm -hmm. and so what are some other ways that I have gotten used to things that might be right? You know, that I have gotten used to thinking things are wrong that might be right or things that are wrong that or things that are right that might be wrong. And so anyways, just that that scripture pushing me to analyze everything that that you're just saying and um, and then taking that um, conviction to start making some riskier decisions. Well, and it's always that question of how does this push me back into the heart of Jesus? Yeah. Right? Like when when I fail or when something makes me uncomfortable or when people disappoint me, like, do I then continue to look outside myself to try and find validation? Yeah. Or am I running back to the heart of Jesus and saying, Okay, that's right. You are the one who makes me who I am. And that's not an easy thing to do. But I think the Lord has really um chiseled away at me for a lot of years, uh, to the point that I really have come to recognize the ways that my incessantly unanswered prayers and my incredible lack um, in the things of this world have been a gift because I know how easily I would, I would have Jesus as a side guy. Right. Um, Right. And the the imagery that I always think of, um, I always think, you know, we like build our beautiful life, right? Like an, it's mm-hmm. this amazing layer cake with the things that we're good at and our family and our home and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all of our accolades. And we put a little bit of Jesus on the top yep. just yep. to like make everything look good, you know? Mm-hmm. And at Jesus is like, baby, I don't want to be fond on, on your layer cake, right? Oh, I don't want to get so good. Yeah. Yes. so that you can have what you actually want. I want to be trifle. I don't know mm-hmm. if you watch the Great British Bake Off, yes. but like, 
mixed all in, like soaking and like, and it's messy, right? A trifle is messy. It's not pretty, but it's so much better than a layer cake because all of the goodness and the flavor is all mixed in. And so just thinking about the mess that God wants to make of our lives so that he can make it so much more beautiful. Okay. When we see each other, we're getting some really great layer cake. Okay. We're going to, we're going to toast to Jesus with some really, (laughs) oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Um, you know, the other thing too, is I think that it's really easy to sit around and, you know, talk about Jesus with our smart friends. And it's like, we sit around and wonder why the world isn't changed. And the world isn't changed because we're not talking enough about Jesus with our smart friends. It's because we're not doing what Jesus did, you know? Mm -hmm. And so thank you, um, for all of your wisdom around, um, just, uh, being uncomfortable. It's, it's, it's convicting and lovely. Um, you also, Meg, another thing that I love about you is you have this really remarkable way of making the saints feel like friends I haven't met yet. And that has been a challenge for me. Um, listeners know that I am a convert to the Catholic faith and I, I didn't really have a file for that. It was like, I didn't, um, it was, and it's been something that's been hard to, there were a lot of things I didn't have a file for, but I was enthusiastic about adding files. And that has been one that's just come a little slower. And it's your work that has really convinced me that it's a worthwhile addition. And so I want to, I want to, Thank you for that, number one. But also, I I would love to know, was there something in particular that captivated you um, that made you kind of dig into this? And and how is your approach unique? You know, it's funny. So I am technically not a convert, um, but... I was an atheist by the time I was 11. My conversion Mm. was when I was at 13 and it was in Mm. the context of fellowship of Christian athletes, right? Like my conversion was in confession, praise the Lord. Uh, But, you know, I came out of that and I was surrounded by evangelical Protestants who like, Uh I learned to pray like a Protestant. I learned to read scripture like a Protestant. And so, I mean, God just knows what he's about, right? Like he knows what he's about. And so I was this like stubborn kid who knew that Catholics were right because that's what I was. And obviously I was right. Um, and so, you know, but I'm, but I'm encountering him in this like really intimate way through the witness of my evangelical friends. And so I was getting to know Jesus and then I'm also doing all of this like apologetic stuff. Um, and the saints were one of those things where I was like, okay, this is not blasphemy and it's not idolatry. And I, that's what I got. Right. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't see the point. I don't, I don't understand, but I was like, this, it's also not a thing that I'm obligated to, right? Like you have to be into the Eucharist. You do. It's like not an option for you to be like, this is not really my thing. But like (laughs) the saints are, I was like, you know, it's, it's not that big a deal. And, and it's not like a, it's not a a hill I'm going to die on. Right. In the way that so many other things are. I was just like, this is fine. It has a Meg Hunter Kilmer, not blasphemy seal of approval because that's what God needs is my seal of approval. Right. Um, and that that's all because every story I'd ever heard about a saint was just boring, right? It was a list yeah. of unrelated facts. There was no narrative thrust. There was no personality. They were all placid and meek and pleasant. And yes. I, like, I'm a lot, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm a lot. I feel big feelings. I feel them very loudly and I feel them at people. And so yeah. hearing all these saints that were like, she was sweet and lovely and never sinned and became a nun the end. I was like, good for you. Right? Like, I'm <laughs> so glad that worked out for you. I was thinking of it as like Snow White holiness, right? Yes. Um, I'm yes. Megara, right? The salty one who sold her soul to the yes. devil. You know, like, I'm, I'm a lot, you know, or like it's Minnesota holy. And I'm like maybe a little bit more Jersey than I am. Yeah. Minnesota. You know? And 
And so I would just see all these things and I was like, that's totally irrelevant. And people would say like, when I can't go to Jesus and I was like, okay, well, that's a problem. First yeah. of all. Um, and it really wasn't, you know, I, I like read about Teresa Avila and I was like, okay, there was one time a salty woman who was canonized. So there's hope for me. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, but it was mostly, you know, these stories that I would hear, I was like, okay, cool. Like, I guess that's a cool story, whatever. Um, and then I read a book called Modern Saints by Anne Ball and she just tells the story well. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, oh, some of these are actually worthwhile stories. That's yeah. interesting. And so I began to dig in a little bit. And I've always been a storyteller. Like my entire mm-hmm. life, I've been a storyteller. I just never had worthwhile Clearly, stories to yeah. tell. Mm. Um, and uh, so when I discovered the saints and the power of their stories and the way mm. that telling the stories of the saints can put, can name the lie that Satan has been telling you, that mm-hmm. God doesn't want you, that there is something about you that the yeah. Lord can't love, that there's something mm-hmm. about you that God can't transform, that God can't work for his glory. And hearing these stories, I was like, this is what I was made for. Yeah. I was made to tell these stories. And I think the biggest thing for me, once I really started hearing these stories is, you know, the most important moment in trying to help someone come to know Jesus is pointing out the thing in their life that makes them feel ineligible for the love of God and claiming that as a lie. Amen. And it might be addiction and it might be mental illness and it might be a broken family and it might be that you are incredibly talented and successful, right? Like Mm -hmm. you might think I can't be a college volleyball star and also (sighs) be a saint, right? Like it, it can be any number of things. But when I can say to you, not only like, oh, God can work in that for you, which can feel very much like a platitude, but like, oh no, here is a person in that exact experience and here's what it looks like with a halo on it, right? Here's what addiction looks like with a halo on it. Here's what obsessive compulsive disorder looks like with a halo on it. Here's what divorce looks like with a halo on it. And just seeing the hope that these stories gave to people um, and the the gift it was to have not just this witness of like back in the day, God did this thing once, but like this person right now wants to sit beside you, wants to walk with you, wants mm. to be your friend and have a relationship with you. Mm-hmm. And I finally understood, you know, people saying when I can't go to Jesus, which is never true, right? Like there's nothing ever between you and Jesus, except sometimes that you can't, right? Yeah. That you feel you feel inadequate or you feel angry, right? Like if Mm -hmm. you've been deeply wounded by men in the past Mm -hmm. to have the blessed mother Mm -hmm. to walk with you to Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. To have these strong female saints. If you are like hating your life and yourself and your body because of infertility, to have a saint who struggles with infertility Mm -hmm. to say to you, you don't have to be okay with this. You don't have to say, well, God has a plan. You can say this is awful and God is still good. And that has been, I think, one of the greatest gifts to me is the saints who who don't sugarcoat the struggles, who say this is awful and God is still good. Because to have a saint friend who lets me sit in that misery, who lets me acknowledge the struggle, but also calls me beyond that to say, okay, but that's not what defines you, right? This can be awful, but what defines you is the goodness of God and the love of Jesus Christ. Yeah. You just described so beautifully bringing heaven nearer. If that's not thy kingdom come, I don't know what is. That is so, so beautiful. Thank you so much. What a gift. I, um, I take, I feel like you take your same, the same passion, um, for, bringing thy kingdom come, um, to 
your to God's word. And I I want to talk for a minute, not about the Bible. We'll get there. But I would like to talk about your Bible, Meg. <laughs> is it an arm shot? Do you <laughs> that a girl? It always is. <laughs> <laughs> what are the practices that have made it so dear to you besides just loving God's word? I feel like you have a lot of strategies for loving God's word so much. Yeah. So, so this is my Bible. This is my, my first communion Bible that my grandparents gave me when I was seven years old. Um, and it's got my like adorable pink magic marker name written in the front where I spelled my town wrong. Um, so this is the Bible that I've used since my conversion when I was 13 years old. I was 13 years old. I met Jesus in the confessional and I was like, well, God wrote one book, so I should probably read it. And I sat down and I read the Bible cover to cover. It took me like five years. Um, and Then when I was done, I was like, well, I don't feel like I'm done. I don't feel like I really understood any of that. Maybe I should start over. And so I started reading Mm. the Bible through every year. And so I just finished my 21st time through (laughs) this Bible. um, And I am obsessed with marking it up. Um, So I've actually been like really stressed out for several years because I'm just running out of space. I don't have any margins left. And eventually I'm going to have to replace it. And I'm, I'm kind of excited about the replacement prospect because what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a week long retreat and I'm going to copy all of my notes. <gasps> nice. And yes. So it's going to be a week of looking at all of the okay. things. The Lord has I was nervous and now I life. feel better. Okay. I know. So I'm actually excited about it, except that there isn't like the perfect Bible for me out there. Cause I, you know, okay. I preach from my Bible, so it has to sit right in my yeah, hands. Like I can't you don't do a hard, hard cover. It has mm-hmm. to be yeah. has to be leather bound. I need the wide margins. I need the red letters. Catholic Bibles don't have that. Um, okay. But but the reason that this specific Bible is so dear to me is that it's just got a record of everything the Lord has done in my life. You know, it's got all of the highlighting. It's got all of the underlining. It's got all of the notes. <clears throat> it's got all of the spots where I've crossed out the footnotes in the New American Bible because sometimes they're a little bit heretical. Um, <laughs> no shade at the bishops, but like a lot of shade. Um <laughs> It's got, I mean, some of it, sometimes it's got like dates, you know, where I'm like, well, this is what God did on this day. And sometimes it's got things that I wrote when I was 15 and I was stupid and they're crossed out now. But yeah. like even looking at that, I'm like, oh, of course, sweet little 15 year old Meg, you didn't know anything, but yeah. like, look at everything that God was doing in your heart. And honestly, like I'm, I'm useless. I'm useless without this Bible. Every once in a while, maybe two or three times in my life, I've left it somewhere and not had it for a couple of days. I had to preach one time from a different Bible. And I was like, uh-huh. I don't even, I don't even know. Cause it doesn't have my notes in it. And so I, I can't like bring out all of these things and I don't know where on the page something is. And so I'm like, ah, yeah, right, right. this is somewhere in the middle of Luke before the transfiguration. But all I know is that it's on the right page in the left-hand column, a third of the way down highlighted. I don't know yeah. where to in actually pink. find it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And so I just get, I get stricken right in the middle yeah. of preaching it. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what more to say. So, um, yeah, this, <clears throat> this Bible is, it's just such a gift. I think also because there are a lot of things that I didn't notice the first 18 times through scripture yeah. where the Lord said something to me the 19th time. And I wouldn't have remembered it reading it the right. 20th time, except that right. I have a note there, you know, like certain things mm-hmm. that should that have no reason to stand out to you. Mm-hmm. But then, I, and I always, I bring my Bible to mass with me every day and I read from my Bible along with the readings because then I see the things that I've underlined that I wouldn't notice just listening where I'm like, yeah. Oh, that's right. That you that's can a also really bring. Thing. That's yeah. a really big thing. And I 
forgot because it just like sort of washes over you. Um, yeah, so it is somebody I had like put it at the front next to the microphone when I was about to give a talk recently and somebody moved it and I oh, lost my mind. Yeah, I was yeah. like almost having a panic attack. Like I need everybody to stop what you're doing right now and find my Bible because yes. I can't spend without it. Yes. And I was like, are you okay? And I was like, I'm sorry, I'm not. Like, I'm not, not and we need to fix it. Right well, now. it's fine. Like we I feel the panic for you. It's like, as I pray for hedges around you, I'm going to be praying for hedges around you and your Bible. I mean, this is... Thank you. <laughs> this is serious. So you have to know how, what a marvel it is. I mean... Other people aren't doing this, Meg. So can you, do you mind normalizing it for us? Because you're so normal and you're so approachable and you're so one of us. So let, so, so do you get stuck? Are there places that, that make you feel the things that other people feel, whether it's, it's boredom or frustration? Oh, for sure. Um, and I, so I have a, um, I've been using the same schedule for, I think, eight years now. And I have been trying to get everybody to join me for years and years on social media. And I actually ended up writing a journal to talk about um, all of these different readings. And so it leads people through. And it's so funny because as I was writing this journal, you know, everything in my life is built on an Excel spreadsheet. And I went through with this Excel spreadsheet for all 365 reflections that I did. And I had a column asking is this about how hard this passage is? Because I had a lot yeah. of reflections that just naturally I was like, okay, this passage is really boring or this passage is really distressing or this passage yeah. is really confusing. confusing. And sometimes, sometimes I would be like, this is really boring and here's how to find meaning. And sometimes I'd be like, this is really boring and it's still God's word. And yeah. it's okay if you're bored because the value of God's word is not contingent on your finding meaning in it right wow. like you may one day read this passage and be like oh my gosh right like I have passages that I read two dozen times before finally I was like oh my gosh oh my gosh the Lord is saying something and there are other passages that I might read every year until I die and still be like I just yeah. I don't get it like I don't and, get it and, and if not okay. here then in heaven it's not about me yeah right? and yeah. and seeing some of the moments where the Lord has spoken really profoundly to me through these incredibly quote-unquote boring or unnecessary bits, I recognize that every single word in scripture has been that for somebody at some point. Yeah. And it doesn't right. have to be that for me. That's okay. Right? Like yeah. everything is not for me. And, you know, and there are other moments where you're like, this is really deeply upsetting. And mm -hmm. it looks like, it looks like the Lord is doing something evil. And that I have to take a step back and say, here's what I know. God is good. And his word is true. This is what I know. And if I don't see how these things jive, that's because of me, right? Yeah. There's there's something that I'm misunderstanding. And every once in a while, you get that insight where it's like, you know, um, with the Alicia in 2 Kings 2, 23 to 24, when mm -hmm. the young men come out and they curse him, yeah. uh, go up, bald head, they cry, go up, bald head. And, and it looks like these she bears come out of the woods and maul a bunch of little children. And then you see that this word is also used about Rehoboam when he's 41. And you're like, oh, so they're maybe not little children, right? They yeah. might be like full on freaking grown men who are attacking him because he is the prophet of the Lord. And that's a different conversation from some nine-year-olds who didn't know that it was rude to make fun of someone being bald, right? right. And so right. knowing that sometimes these things come to light and I become more comfortable with them and just saying like, it's okay if that doesn't happen in this world. Yeah, It's okay for me to say, 
I am not the arbiter of all that is true, good and beautiful. Mm -hmm. That God is good and his word is true. And if I don't see how those things can both be the case with this particular passage, that's because I don't know everything. And it's taken me a lot of years to get to the point where I'm comfortable saying I don't know everything. Yeah. So I'm there now, right? I'm yeah. I have an intro um before the interview and and I I've which I've already recorded and um it was it, it was a passage that was initially confusing to me and I just kind of gained some clarity through ins- inspirers like yours that just really challenged me to just sit with it. Just sit with it. And one of the things that I said about you is that um you're not just committed and thorough, but you're also very trusting. Like you know that God is beautiful. And so with that as a foundation, um, it really opens up a different kind of motivation as you go looking, you know? And so I think a lot of us, we might, the motivation might be knowledge. You know, we might be opening it up, looking for, for head knowledge. And I feel like sometimes if we're only looking for more knowledge, that can lead to some pride or um, maybe even something that's a little bit stagnant, right? Um, And so I, what is your motivation to open up and read? Like, what are you looking for? So here's how good God is. He works with us exactly as we are, right? Mm -hmm. And so my initial motivation was stubbornness and pride. Uh I'm going to be the Catholicist and I'm going to know the most and I'm going to be better than everybody else. And God was like, cute. I can work with this, right? I can work (laughs) with this. And, And it's, I think for a long time, a lot of my motivation was just, well, I'm going to, I'm going to do this because I'm going to do this because this is who I am. And everybody's going to know, you know, whatever. And God worked with that. And I think now it's just kind of like, well, I, I brush my teeth and I change my socks and I read my Bible. Like, these are just, these are just things that I do. There's yeah. no like, should I do this today? It like right. doesn't even okay. occur to me yeah. that I wouldn't. Cause it, it's been 21 years, right? Like I, I mean, I, there hasn't been a day that I haven't opened the Bible since I was a teenager. Right. And so it's not a thing that I like decide there's no, like the motivation is just that like, this is who I am and this is what I do. Um, but I think the, the question is when I'm going to scripture, what am I allowing the Lord to do in my heart? Right. And there are definitely times when I'm like, I just have to get through these words because I am a person who reads the Bible every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and God can work in that. Like sometimes he just yeah. comes in like a wrecking ball and is like, uh-huh. nope, this yeah. is the conversation we're having. Yeah. And other times, uh, other times I go and I'm like, Lord, you got to give me something. Like I need, I need something. And uh, you know, there, I try to do my scripture reading at the beginning of my holy hour. So I've got like about mm-hmm. 15 minutes that I spend in scripture and then 45 minutes that I spend staring at a tabernacle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that gives a lot of space to work through yeah. whatever it is the Lord might be saying in scripture. And there are times when I read it and I'm like, yep. Okay. Like nothing okay. much going on here. It's like <laughs> the passion of Christ, you know, like God dying on the cross for me. And I'm like, yep, I know that. And other times like I was the other day I was reading Hagar um, where she said, you are the God who sees me. Hmm. And it just like ripped me wide open. And yeah. I spent my entire holy hour and the next days just praying with that image you are yeah. the god who sees me and it was so beautiful allison because mm. so this the schedule that i've been using for the last eight years that i that i put together 
you read through the gospels twice. Um, and so the, uh-huh. there are three readings that you read every day. And the first and the second reading are like kind of connected, but the gospels, it's just like, let's get through these twice. And all of a sudden in like December, I was like, oh, I should switch up where I read the gospels because, you know, I've been making connections between Genesis and Matthew for eight years. Uh-huh. What if I read Mark first? And so this year, I, it's so I'm such a nerd, but I'm like, Super excited that I'm reading the gospel in a different <laughs> order this year. This year I'm going so Mark, much. Luke, John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Matthew. And so I was reading Hagar against the calming of the storm where the apostles Ooh. say, wow. Lord, do you not care? Yeah. And to see Hagar yeah. who is alone and abandoned and abused mm. and given no wow. promise oh, except that yeah. decades from now, your son is going to be the father of a multitude and her saying, you are the God who sees me and that is enough. Mm-hmm. And holding that up against the apostles who have walked with Jesus, he knows their names. They've seen him heal the blind and lepers and cast out demons. And they say, do you not care? Right. And so just like meditating on that difference, you know, what is it that makes Hagar different and where do I take this for granted? And where are the moments where I'm able to like really look at God and be like, but you see me and that's enough. Yeah. You see Thank me you. And that's enough. Thank you for spelling that out because I've, because I've never done what you've done. I haven't had that experience, but I value what you're explaining. The closest thing I have to it is, um, you know, I can always learn something new from a new book or a new chapter because I haven't read it while I'm experiencing this. I haven't read it during this time in my life. And so even though, yes, I've read it before and felt like I had a good understanding, I can read it at a different time in my life that speaks to me newly and then allows me to know, um, God more. So for like, just as an example, last year, I struggled, um, deeply with mental health for the very first time. And, um, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, the whole Trinity was just a a different kind of um, source of knowledge and friendship and consoler. And I know God differently now because I've never struggled with that before. These verses mean something different um, because of this stage in my life. But to think about the pairings, that's just something that um, you don't know what you don't know. So I really, really appreciate the the geek in you that allows you to not just discover this on your own, but to bring people along. And I know that you are very committed to bringing people along. So tell us your, about your project. Tell us what you've got going and how we can do this too, because I need, I need help. Number one, there's no way I would be able to do it on my own. So I'm, I am all ears. Yeah. So I, I mean, I think I started in 2002 was the first time that I started reading the Bible through in a year and just realized that it's it's 15 minutes a day. You know, that's 1% of your day. And so for a long time, this was just like my personal practice. And then I started sharing on social media and, you know, I got a blog and whatever. And I was like, oh, you guys should do this with me. You guys should do this with me. And so every January, like December, I would be like, all right, guys, we're going to do this. And January would be like, all right, who's doing this? And you know, people would get all excited. And then I knew everybody was falling off. But you know, what am I going to do about it? And then in 2020, January 2020, I was like, well, I'll just like, every day on Instagram and in my Instagram stories, I'll write like a yeah. little reflection on this. Um, and maybe then people will see it. And they'll be like, Oh, that's right. I should I should keep going. Um, and within like six weeks, I was like, Oh, this is a book. That's what I'm doing as I'm yeah. writing a book. Now, a normal yeah. person would then be like, Oh, I will write this as a book. And then I will share things in Instagram stories. But I was voice texting my Instagram stories. And then at the end of the year, I went through and screenshotted and extracted text and copied and pasted it all into Mm -hmm. a document 
that then was my first draft of my book. Yeah, your editor is, loves you. Just absurd. I know, <laughs> just absurd. Um, but it's it's cool because it was just super organic. You know, it wasn't like yeah. systematic. I got to make sure that I have like this many comments uh-huh. on this many different things. Yeah. It was just like, let's just see what the Holy Spirit says, right? And it was 2020, so I did have to go back through and kind of remove some commentary sure. on current events, right? Like we don't, yeah, we don't suddenly need to be talking about plagues for three weeks straight in the middle of this book. But um, so we put it together as a journal because I think a lot of people, they, they're like, oh, okay, Bible in a year. Great. Let's go. Let's do it. They go strong for like a month and a half and then they fall off. And then they think I have to start over at the beginning, which here's mm. the thing. There's just no virtue in reading the Bible in a year. Like there's, there's nothing about 365 days that makes this better than anything else. It's just uh, a thing that I can convince people to commit to, right? Yes. People will do something for a year, but like I talked to somebody recently and she was like, I don't think I can do it in a year. And I was like, well, what if you do the first reading and then you do, and then the next day you do the second and third, and then the yeah. next day you do day yeah. two first reading and then the following and do it in two years. Fine. Or like I have a friend who's doing it every weekday for, you know, it'll take her like a year yeah. and a third or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Like, great. Perfect. Cause there's, there's just no merit in a year. It's just, that's a thing that people will commit to. But I, and yeah. I think people really get thrown off on that. And so they feel like they have to keep starting over as yes. they keep going back to Genesis one. And so the idea of the journal is it's got space for you to write so that when you stop, when, not if, when you stop for six months, you pick it back up and you see, oh, I was on day 45. I can go to day 46 now. Like you have yes. evidence that you've done it. Yes. And I think then you feel guilty that you don't finish it. And so you keep going because you're like, uh-huh. well, I already wrote this book. I might as well. Yes. I am just all about tricking people into reading the Bible. Yes. I I, and I feel <laughs> tricked. I am yes. duped and I love it. Oh, that's yeah. so, so great. Do you mind, Meg, if we talk about maybe something potentially, I don't know, difficult, um, because I think that it could be a common hangup. Um, and then I would love to hear like how we support you, how we get our hands on this and just promote, promote, promote. But, um, so I'm going to, I'm going to tiptoe into this because, um, I know that many women in, in ministry have a complicated relationship with Paul. Right. And, um, I feel like I personally have had to dive really deep in order to not find him narrow-minded and a little bit bossy. If I'm just going to be frank, I, I feel like that. I have thank to, you for I, being frank. well, I think, well, thank you for thanking me because I do feel like I have to whisper a little bit. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm looking around before I can, I say this, um, but not, I mean, so, so narrow-minded and, and, and bossy, but, but a little bit hard to understand frankly. And, um, I let, I think there's this, is it in second Peter? It's Peter that acknowledges this. He's like, yeah, I mean, yeah let's face does. it. Paul's a yeah, little hard to understand. Things that are right? very hard to read. <laughs> yeah. like, okay. Peter's um, still throwing shade at Paul all these years later. Wow. Yes, there we go. Yes. And then I think there's somewhere in Luke where it's like, it says, um, and so Paul left and we were able to have some peace or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> or, I'm sorry, yeah, I know. It's, and then he can't get along with Barnabas. I mean, Barnabas is just the nicest guy. They like had to literally, they, they gave him a new name. He was so nice. They were like, we're not calling you Joseph anymore. Yeah, we're calling you yeah. son of encouragement. Like, encouragement. Like, yeah. come on. And okay, Paul made a mess of that too. Yeah. Gosh. And so there are these, there are these things that make me, um, 
just bristle. And I know that, that I'm not the only one that has experienced this, that, that have, have found him to be a little bit much. And, and, and so, like I said, I feel guilty saying these things and, and I know yet that, that I'm missing something and you Meg have a special affection for Paul. So I want you to teach me a little bit. I am receptive and I'm listening. So here's the thing. Paul and I are the same person. We have the same life. We have the same personality. You've messed up everything then. (laughs) (laughs) I adore you. (laughs) This is the thing. So like, I too think sometimes you should yell, oh, you stupid Galatians. And you should just put it in the Bible and people should read it from the pulpit for the rest of time. Because some people are that stupid that everybody should know. Uh, And so I think that it's just really easy for me to read Paul because I'm like, oh, I too would have said that, especially if I didn't realize that people were going to be reading this as scripture for the rest of time. You know, like Paul feels big feelings and he feels them out loud and he feels them at people. And that's exactly how I am. Um, And, you know, I was writing about Hagar the other day and someone was like, you know, talk to me about Paul in Galatians 4, the way that he talks about Hagar, because it's kind of upsetting. You know, he's just like that slave woman. And I was like, here's the thing. Paul is so excited in that moment about Hagar as type that he's totally forgotten Hagar as a person. And I do the same thing. I write about people in the the Old Testament and I'm just thinking about the metaphor that they are. And I forget this is an actual wounded, broken person. And, And so I just totally get it. And when Paul like goes off on something, I'm like, oh, I also... Sometimes I'm so focused on this one specific issue for this one specific community that I forget to hedge and make sure that I'm giving clarity on all of these surrounding issues, right? Like recently I was talking about obedience relative to um, a priest who had been laicized. And I was like, look, you have to obey your legitimate superiors. Like that's what it means to be holy. That's what it means to be a Catholic. Um, And I was like going on about obedience. And I had a lot of people who were like, how dare you say people just have to obey whatever the church, whatever, like people above them tell them to do. And I was like, ooh, right. So I was talking about a very specific instance where a priest has made vow of obedience and he is bound by what the church demands of him. But like if his, if his bishop is like, you have to be keto like he does it right and so I'm just sort of assuming everybody understands all of this context and all of these limitations and I'm just focused on this one specific issue and people get upset because they don't see that I'm trying to talk about something specific because I'm not being careful about it and I think Paul's sort of the same way he's talking about a very specific issue at a specific time in a specific community and he's speaking very forcefully because that's what they need to hear and like the Holy Spirit works through the fact that he said these things, uh, but but it's not it's not always giving us all of the context. It's not always giving us all the nuance that we want. And so yeah. we, looking back on it, have to we have to sort of provide some of that context and provide some of that nuance and recognize here's the specific thing that Paul was addressing. Here's what he's not addressing, right? Like. Yeah. It, this seems like an absolute thing that he's saying, but this one specifically is not. And sometimes he's very clear, right? Sometimes like he says, not I, but the Lord. And sometimes he say, I would recommend yeah. this to you. Yeah. And that's really helpful. And recognizing that there are other times where that's the subtext, right? Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think Paul is a lot easier for me because I'm like, oh yeah, I could see I have, I have done that. I have said that yeah. I have made that kind of a mess. Yeah. It helps to know 
some of the culture that he was responding to as well. Right. Um, there's a there's a helpful book that is also deeply problematic. So I'm not uh, recommending it wholeheartedly. Um, I think it's called Paul Among the Gentiles by I want to say Sarah Rudder. Um, mm-hmm. I'll pull it up on my Goodreads real quick. And she is a classicist and a Christian. And so when she's looking at Paul, she's looking at it from the context of knowing what was going on in the culture. And so she's right. like, he says this about women. Here's what you need to know about what yeah. everybody else was saying about women. Does it feel yes. a little bit different now yeah. that you understand that, right? Yes. Like, here's what yes. he says about um obedience to the government. Here's what was going on with the government. Does that feel different? Now, I think that she gets some of the um, sexuality stuff wrong. And also I should warn you that she is as graphic as the ancients were in her discussion of some of this stuff. So like big old trigger warning um, for some people, but even just to, there it is, Paul Among the People by Sarah Rudin. I rated it three stars out of five because I was like, some of it is one star and some of it is five stars. Um, mm-hmm, yeah, but right. just even to like look at that and say, okay, she might be wrong about some of this stuff, but it is helpful to think I might just not have enough context for this. Right. I might not understand these words well yeah. enough. There really could be something that yeah. opens us up and explains it. And a lot of the things that seem misogynistic in Paul, you're like, well, actually, relative to his culture, that was like hardcore feminist. Absolutely. Right. Um, right. And, and so, so that's the thing. Like any time that I've, you know, kind of dug in on my own, I, like if so, if people are using his words to to silence others, it's like any time I do my own digging, I look and I see empowerment. You know, it's like, um, you know, whether it's him writing about and and praising and working alongside like really, you know, powerful women or heartily declaring every person's equality, you know, whatever. Like when I look my own self, um, aside from people, again, you're right, using something as a blanket that was intended for a very specific church in a very specific time to very specific people in a very specific situation, a problem that he was addressing, um, you know, so so it's kind of those two things. It's it's someone either singling out something um, outside of those situations, and and kind of covering everything with it. But I really like how you talk about his humanity, because the truth of the matter is that he is a brother, not a savior. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, yes. and so there are these personality quirks. And when you put it that way, I'm like, well, okay, fine. I'm a lover of people. So yeah, I mean, I really, I really, really appreciate that. that and you can see his growth too, as, as the letters go by, right. He starts off, I think it's first Corinthians. He says, I'm the least of the apostles. And by the end of his writing, he says, I'm the least among sinners. And you can just see, mm, you can see his humility wow, growing. And there are so many lines where he uh, like talks about joy in suffering. I mean, that, like, I just think the Pauline epistles yeah. have been so important to me in my suffering because Paul did suffer so much yeah. and was able to cling to hope and joy, to joy yeah. in such an incredible way. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just I love him. And Barnabas St. Barnabas is my very best friend. So I like feel some feelings about Barnabas <laughs> yes, and right. Paul and their and their little, their little uh to do. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's great. Um so last thing before we just um sing from the hilltops about h- how to follow you and find you and get our hands on your things. Um 
and this is kind of what I wanted to maybe tiptoe into, but we know that people can often use certain verses um, to exclude or condemn or manipulate or force obedience. Um, as someone who loves scripture as much as you do and is such a, a lover of people and someone who desperately longs to bring thy kingdom come, um, what do you have to say about how scripture can be weaponized? Oh, can it, man, oh man, um, in such horrific ways that completely ignore the character of Jesus Christ and the character of the father that is revealed again and again and again through scripture. It's, I have a really hard time when I hear people speaking in these really ugly ways, using scripture in these ugly ways. I have a a hard time believing that they have really read all of scripture uh, because you just see, you know, I always talk about God in the Old Testament, that he's like this pathetic hero from an 80s rom-com who's just like desperately falling all over himself to try and win the girl and making a fool of himself again and again. And like standing outside the window with the boombox being like, this time, will you love me? Right? I mean, he just, he makes himself pathetic with Israel. He really does. And I do not see how you can read that. And come out the other side saying, God hates anybody. I do not see how you can read Jesus weeping for love of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. How you can see the sacrifice he makes for the woman caught in adultery, for the sinful woman anointing him. How you can see any of that and be like, oh yeah, he wants to hate and exclude people. And so, you know, we talk a lot about reading scripture from within the heart of the church, which is so important. But I think we have to recognize that at the very heart of the church is the heart of the Father and the bleeding heart of our Savior and the heart of the Holy Spirit who longs to inhabit each one of them, each one of us, and to recognize that everything in scripture is communicating this love of God. Um, And some of it, it can be really hard to see how this is loving. Um, And I think for me, I tend, I think of myself as a toddler before the father. Um, And that's an image that might not be helpful if you didn't have a loving father. Um, But my, my dad was a mess in many ways, but he really, really loved me. And so I can look at this and say, okay, you know, like God is screaming at me right now because I'm running into the street in front of a truck, right? And he's screaming for me to stop. And then he's going to catch me up and he's going to hold me close and he's going to cry over me, you know? And so I think we always have to take that step back and remind ourselves that at the heart of scripture is this truth that before there was time, God loved you wildly and fiercely and tenderly and sent prophets crying out that love and finally came himself to be born in a stable and laid in a feed trough to live for you and die for you and then rose for you, came back for you, lives for you in the blessed sacrament. This is not a God who is about hatred and exclusion and abuse and demands, right? This is a God who wants nothing more than to be with you. And so when we're reading scripture and it feels like God is cruel or God is ugly or God is exclusionary or God is saying these people aren't good enough. You have to, you have to come back to that question of like, who do I know God to be? And you can see that like, it's, it's hard sometimes to balance the two, right? Like you see Jesus calling out Pharisees and calling out Sadducees and you have to say, okay, but like he knew their hearts and I don't know the hearts of the people that I'm trying to condemn. 
right? Like he can speak with this intensity and harshness because he knows what's going to move them. But what he says to us is it's you don't get to judge. Like you don't get to pull up the weeds and you don't get to throw out the rotten fish. Like you gather all of it in and you let me deal with it, right? You bring everybody and you let me deal with it. And I think that's, that's what we have to remain rooted in is just this, this unceasing love of God that has to be the motivation of everything that we do. And certainly of the way that we read his word. Yes. And Jesus's word made flesh. He's Mm -hmm. the thought we can, we can put all of our, our hope and trust in these things. And yet these things bring us back to Jesus as foundation every single time. So I, I really, gosh, you are a delight. You are an absolute delight, Meg. I am so, so grateful. I have hung on your words this hour and I couldn't thank you more for how generously you showed up. Um, Where do we follow? What do you want us to do? Please give us some marching orders because I am here to obey friend. <laughs> All right. Um, so I've written, I've got three books that are out. So if you want Saint Friends, I've got Saints Around the World, which is a hundred yes. stories of saints from 70 different countries. Love it. Written Get for it children, now. beautifully illustrated. Yes. Great gift. It's, it's yes. so like, I, I love this book so much because it's so much about representation, like ethnic representation, but different disabilities and mental illnesses yes. and family yes. types. And yes. like to have a little kid raise their hand and be like, do you have a saint who never had a dad? And to be able to say, yes, I do. Let's turn to Blessed Francisco de Apology Jesus. And like the way that they feel, or like I had a little boy who was like, do you have any saints with limb differences? And he had a limb difference. And I was like, I've got four, you know? And like the look on his face where he was like, oh my gosh, like I really am a part of this. And God really does want me exactly as I am. So love that book. Um, Pray for us, 75 saints who sin suffered and struggled on their way to holiness. Similar, but it's written for adults. I mean, you can give it to like a 12 year old, Um, but also like really focusing on the struggle and the brokenness and the way that we're not alone in that. And then a year in the word Catholic Bible journal is my newest. um, And you can start that whenever you want. You can take however long you want. We do have a Facebook group if you want to sort of have a little bit of accountability um, so that you can, you know, just know that people are checking in on you where you can go in and ask questions, anything like that. Um, and it's not too late to catch up. You guys, this is for 2023. Let, you know, this can be part of our, um, I'm, I'm kind of bad at resolutions. They're the same every time, which is to, you know, <laughs> love mercy and walk humbly, humbly and all, all, you know, Micah 6, that, that's, that's, that's it. Micah 6 yeah, <laughs> um, but that, what a great practice, um, for 2023. Um, so we can follow on Instagram. Yeah, I'm really good on Instagram. I'm okay on Facebook. I'm not so great on Twitter. And I've basically forgotten that I have a blog and a podcast. But you can look at all of the back stuff on my blog and my podcast. Yes, yes, absolutely. And so where do we follow on Instagram? I mean, I know. Easiest thing to do is to Google Hobo for Christ. um, And my website will pop up and it's got all of like the buttons on the side. And you can can follow along over there. Okay. Um, Thank you a million times over for blazing the trails that you blaze and letting us follow along and letting us um, being such a loving and nurturing guide. I am so grateful for your many gifts and the ways that you share them. We're all so much better for it. You have taught me a lot and I'm really, really grateful for what you do in our church and in the world. Thank you Friend, so much. You are such a gift. Thank you for your questions. There are sometimes when there's an interview and I'm like, oh, the Holy Spirit's about to tell me something. So like, I'm just going to start 
start talking and we're going to see what the spirit says. And this was definitely one of those. So oh, I really praise God. It. I know I, I, I actually have like a, a certain rhythm that I like start with and end with. And I forgot it all. Cause I'm just, I'm just hooked. I'm just, in just it, leaning in. Yes. The Holy Spirit's taken over. We're good to go. All right. Thank you. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. Thank Let's keep you, in touch. Friend. God bless you. God bless. Sinners, saints, sisters, do you need a speaker for your event? Do you need someone to lead your retreat? It would be all my joy to serve and spread God's love to you and the people you gather with compassionate leadership, Bible-based teaching, authentic life stories, and a lot of laughter at heart. You can reach me at sinnersaintsister at gmail.com. Hello, Taylor Schroll. Hi. <laughs> okay, so I just got finished talking to Meg Hunter Kilmer, and I thought I loved her before, and now it's a love affair. Um, I feel like, I don't know if Meg would say this about herself, so I don't want to like speak out of turn, but I feel like she's either 100% or not I'm good, because everything she does seems to be with such commitment. Um, and so she... Recently, she has a new Bible journal coming out. Everybody needs to go get it. She has read her Bible front to back 21 times. Oh, my goodness. I've done it once, and I'm, like, pompous about it. (laughs) Look at me. I did it. I even read, like, Judges. Yeah, right. I made it through Leviticus. So I feel like what Meg does so beautifully. So monsters aren't really scary in daylight, right? It's like, just shed some light on it. And then we can, you know, kind of deal with what it is. I feel daunted. I feel like it's this scary thing that because it feels overwhelming to me, I won't, I won't commit because I'm afraid of failure. And she's like, okay, she, it's like, she has an answer for everything, you know? And so there's something about her humanity and how personable she is that really actually makes me believe I can do this as well. Have you tried reading your Bible during the daytime? (laughs) (laughs) It seems to be the the solution. (laughs) I mean, okay, fine. But when do you read yours, Taylor? Do you have a good rhythm? Do you, what's your practice? Uh, I get into a very good rhythm until I don't. Uh, Right. Uh, right. So I use the, the, it, the Bible app, just called the Bible app uh-huh. on my phone. Uh-huh. And it has uh, some really helpful tools. Like it, you can set reminders like, hey, yeah. read it today. It sends you the verse of the day. But I do like these reading plans where it's like, what do I want to focus on? Like there's Bible reading plans for, you know, marriage or uh, prayer life or, uh, you know, dealing yeah. with troubled people at work or whatever. Right? Sure. So I typically do those and it'll remind you every time, every day you can set a time. Yep. So typically I have a time like 10 o'clock at night to where like if I have done nothing else, at least at 10 o'clock at night, yeah. I'm going to stop and I'm going to do this thing. So I usually do it for a while, but I've been doing a 21 Rick Warren, 21 day Rick Warren one for yeah. like 87 days. And yeah, it's pretty yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, what I love about what Meg has set up is that there's room to reflect and write. She makes these parallels that you wouldn't necessarily make without a community. So there's a community set up and you can get encouragement from one another. So I'm really excited about this. I want everyone else to get excited about this. If you just listened to that last hour, there's no way you can't be. Everything is just so contagious about her, her joy, her passion. Um, I just feel like very newly inspired. I'm excited. Good. A sp- uh, scriptural pandemic's about to break out. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Thanks, Taylor. See You're ya. You're welcome. 
Thank you so, so much for listening. Thank you for being here. A very special thank you to all guests and sponsors. A really special thank you to Taylor Schroll for mixing and editing. For more content, you can head over to Instagram at Allison M. Sully and TikTok at Sullivan Family TikTok. You can also check out Forte Catholic and subscribe there where you have a 25% chance of hearing me co-host. I am so grateful for all of the love and support that we offer each other here. Today's show was a production of Allison Sullivan in conjunction with the Forte Catholic Podcast Network. For more great Catholic podcasts, head on over to ForteCatholic.com slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.